One of the Christmas traditions at our house every year is we get together with some family friends that we've been getting together with at Christmas for 23 years. Their kids are about the same age as ours. We get together, we eat way too much, we tell stories of our children's youth, and then the older boys tell about how great a dads they have. Actually, what they tell us is we're way too strict on them and too soft on their younger siblings. And then we open gifts. Now, last year, when our family friends and us got together, um, one of the gifts that was given given was this little tree. It's called Bean Boozled. Have you ever heard of this? Um, it actually is like jelly bellies, but for every good jelly belly you get, there's a bean boozle that tastes awful, and there's a little spinner on top of the bucket, and so you spin, then you have to pick whatever color is and hope you don't get one that's too bad. I mean, you may pull out one that tastes like birthday cake, or it also could taste like dirty dishwater. You might pull out one that tastes like toasted marshmallow, or it might be stink bug. You might pull out one that's berry blue, or tastes like toothpaste, or the ultimate one might taste like peach, (laughs) or it might taste like barf. It's really disgusting, so sorry for saying that in the middle of a message from church, but it really is quite a fun game. So we're all sitting around playing this game, and I decided I want to win by getting the least amount of bean boozled, so I just would pick one, and whatever it was, I would chew it and smile like it was just fine, until I got to canned dog food, and I almost lost my cookies around that. So there's our Christmas tradition. Um, Hopefully we'll do it again this year. But every time someone would eat one of these little jelly bean things, the question everyone would ask is, is it good? Is it good? Is it good? Is it good? Or did you get the bad one. Now, in this series, we have been asking this question when it comes to our faith, when it comes to Christianity. And we want it to be good, but sometimes the way Christians come across, whether they put something on social media that just feels kind of mean and nasty, or they feel like they're full of fear or full of hate, it doesn't feel like it's good when we think it should be surrounded, our faith and Jesus, around hope and peace. Because Jesus' birth was announced to the world. This is how it was announced, that it was good news of great joy for all people. And this is such an interesting thing because it's hard to have something that's good for all people because often if something is good for me, it's not so good for you. It's so good that when they titled the story of Jesus, they called it the gospel, which simply means the good story. Isn't that interesting? It's like when people sat around, they thought, what should we call this thing? And they decided to call it the gospel, the good story. A story that's compelling and a story that's worth telling. Now here's the question we've been struggling with throughout the series is, if this is so good and so compelling, then why do people resist it? And I understand that it may be a story that's hard to believe for some of you. I mean, there's so many amazing things in Jesus' life, it may be hard to wrap your mind around, but why don't we want it to be true? Because generally, when something is good, we want it to be true. And if it's good news, the question you have to ask is, what happened to the good news? Why doesn't everyone want to lean into it? Why doesn't everyone at least want to know about it and hope that it's true? And I think the simple answer for that, and don't be offended by this, is we happened. The church happened. And I don't want to put everything on the church's fault, but really think about it. We've taken the good news message and we've Americanized the good news. And I love America. I love our country. But it is not an American story. It's a kingdom from another world kind of story. We politicize the good news and we've prosperitized the good news. Think about it this way. For some of us, when we are introduced to the good news as children or teenagers, we're invited to accept Jesus as our Savior for fire insurance, weren't we? 
We were told you got to give your life to Jesus so you know where you go after you die, and it's not someplace bad. And that may be true, but that's not about loving a God that's deeply in love with us. It has nothing to do with loving a God that gave everything for us, and our response is to follow him. Really what that's all about is what's in it for me. And any time the Christian story or the gospel is all just about me, for the rest of the world, that's not good news. That's not great joy for all people because it's just about me. What that is, is the pick and choose good news. It's the good news that suits me. It's the good news that suits my family or my economic group or my little corner of the world. Now, there's a really extreme example of this, and I realize this is an extreme example, but there is such thing that exists in the world. It's something called the Slave Bible. I'd never heard of it till this week. There's about three left in existence, and you go to, can go to a museum to see it, but this was actually published once upon a time. It was published in 1807 by the Society for the Conversion of Slaves in the British West Indies. Now here's what was going on with this. They published this Bible, and it wasn't just a one-off, they actually published it, which means they produced a whole lot of them so slaves could learn to read and they could be converted to Christianity. Now what's so fascinating about the slave Bible is they removed all the parts of the Bible that undermine the idea of slavery. So they took out the whole exodus of God's people leaving Egypt. They took out the story of the Hebrew people going to the promised land. They took out everything that would make a slave think, I should be a free person. They actually took it from about 1,100 chapters all the way down to 300 chapters. And this is one of the verses that they took out. They took out the fact that the writer of Galatians said, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male and female, for you all one in Christ Jesus. Now this is fascinating because this is really good news if you were a slave owner 200 years ago. But it was not good news for slaves. Because the good news is for everybody. The good news is for Jew and Gentile, slaves and free, male and female, for all. It's good news for the rich and it's good news for the poor. It's good news for the righteous. It is good news for the unrighteous. It is good news for saints. It is good news for sinners. It is good news for your in-laws that are coming over for Christmas dinner. It is good news for your crazy uncle. Be careful because you might be that crazy uncle. It is good for news for your neighbor that drives you crazy. It is good news for your ex-husband. It is good news for your ex-wife. It is even good news for your daughter's ex-husband that you wish would just disappear off the planet Earth. You have never, ever met someone that the good news is not good news for because it's good news. That's what Jesus brought to the earth. But the question we're going to ask today, especially for us that are Jesus followers, but what about me? Am I good news when I walk into the room? Are you good news when you come over for Christmas, Christmas dinner, are you great joy for all people? Is this what characterizes us as Jesus followers? In this little letter to the Galatians, this is what is written. It says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify. And the word glorify just simply means magnify, make bigger. Your father 
in heaven, that if you're a follower of Jesus, if God has come into your life and he's changed you from the inside out, you got to let that out of your life and it's got to shine God's love around you. So when people see it, they look up and they wonder, is God someone I should follow? And they should consider, consider that. Simply, this is what the writer of Galatians is saying, is we should personify the good news whenever we're in the building or near other people. Now, it's so fascinating because the Apostle Paul, who wrote so many of these letters, his success, his financial security, his reputation was all wrapped around the temple and kind of the old news. He actually was like deputized to hunt down people that shared the good news and destroy them. And the Apostle Paul runs into Jesus, and it changed him from the inside out. And he begins to write to so many little churches around the Mediterranean Rim. Now, as we read one of those letters, it's, the book of Phil, it's a book written to the Philippian church. It's called Philippians. As we read it, I don't want you just to read it as the Bible or something from Sunday school when you were a little kid. I want you to hear Paul writing through his experience inspired by God. And ask the question, what if every Christian was characterized by what we're about to read together? And what if I, what if you were characterized by this? So the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, in other words, if you have benefited from Jesus coming into your life, in any way, like forgiveness or hope or joy, in any way, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one-minded. You little church people, when you gather in your little church groups, you gather with your families and individually, but where this is most powerful is when we come together, the people would take notice the way the goodness that God has put in us flows out of us. It's so good to believe. It's so good to understand, but it's what you do with what you believe that changes the world. And it's like somebody said to the Apostle Paul, hey Paul, can you explain this for us? Can you just break this down so it's something we can you know, understand? And this is all over the New Testament, yet we miss it over and over again. And Paul's like, yeah, I'll explain it the best that I can. He says, do nothing. Out of selfish ambition, or vain conceit. Let me ask you this. Would, th would this be good for our world if more people were self selfless and did nothing out of vain conceit? Would you want to work with people that are not selfish or have a lot of vanity? Would you want to hire people like this? <laughs> would you want your dad to be more like this? Or are you thankful your dad wasn't like this? Paul goes on, rather in humility, value others above yourself, not because they're more valuable than you, but because this is exactly what Jesus did when he came to the planet. Jesus on this planet was the most valuable thing the world had ever seen, and he put others ahead of him. Is that good? I think it's real good. Not looking, he goes on, to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. This is the essence of the gospel, that you look to the interests of people that you know deserve it. Like you look at somebody and you go, they're a good person, and so I'm going to look for their interest above mine. And the people you know don't deserve that from you, you look to their interest too, because that's what Jesus did for you and for me. 
He goes on, in your relationships, and you've got to pause here because the question is, what relationships? And just to go through the list, in your husband relationship or your marriage relationship or your wife or with your kid relationships, with your neighbors, with your boss, with your church friends, with your non-church friends, with your crazy relatives that you can't stand, with the people that are skeptical of your faith in all your relationships, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. And, and I ask, you know, what's the mindset? I think Paul would say you defer. You put them first. You decide to put them above you, and not to diminish you, but to put them and honor them in any way you can. You're gonna get to sit around Christmas dinner and open some gifts and be around people that you love and maybe you don't love so much. Yeah, put those people that you don't love so much ahead of you, because when you do, you represent the kingdom of God the very best. You represent that baby coming to this planet to be with us. People that God should have ran away from, but instead he ran towards. And again, the next thing we read, don't just hear me reading the Bible to you. Hear a guy that was in love with Jesus, that was inspired by his very spirit. Describe what he was like to people 2,000 years ago and describe it to you. He said, who? Talking about Jesus. Being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. And I love this when he says that Jesus was the very nature of God. If you said, Paul, how would you describe Jesus? Well, I'm not sure how to put this. And this is kind of weird since he walked around like a human being, but it, it's like he was God. Hey, Peter, you were with Jesus in the boat. We talked about that last week. You were around him a ton. You ate with him. You lived with him. You traveled with him. How would you describe Jesus? Well, it was like he was, he was God. James, you're Jesus' brother. I mean, how would you describe him? Well, he was kind of weird growing up, but I'm telling you, especially after the resurrection, I was convinced he was God, and he showed up around us mere mortals, and every once in a while his glory and his power would pop out, and it was overwhelming. But here's the weird thing about Jesus, who was the very nature of God. He didn't leverage his power and authority for himself. He leveraged who he was for everyone else in the planet. Now just pause for a minute. Can you imagine if every political leader in the last year did that? And they quit looking out for their own interests and their own party? And they just leveraged it for everyone that was less than them? Would that be good? Yeah, it would be good for the whole world. It would be good for our country. It would be good for you. Rather, instead of doing that, he made himself nothing. And then Paul tells us how far he took this. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. It's terribly difficult for me to do that. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And when we hear that word death on a cross for us, it's, you know, it's art. It's jewelry because we've never seen or smelled what that looks like. But I'm just telling you, the moment when our Savior was most glorified, we would have been most horrified. When he was at his very best, we would have been tempted to look away, run away, because it was so horrific. And Jesus gives everything for you and for me and for the least of these. 
He gives it for you that when you don't feel like you're worth anything. And he gives his life for the people in your life that you don't think count and I don't think count. And it's hard to think they're valuable and we just want them to go away. Jesus said, yeah, that's who I'm giving my life for. And then he says, now, follow me and learn from me because we're going to do this for everybody we run into. And the question is, is that good? I'm not sure how it gets any better. And the Apostle Paul, he, he gives us a part to play. We just jump down to verse 12, and he said, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I love this phrase, work out your salvation. It's like let God squeeze you so tight that what's on the inside works his way to the outside. That what God has done in you with forgiveness and his spirit and giving you hope, let him just squeeze it out of you so you share it with other people. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And God's good purpose, which should be our good purpose, is that we are to let people know they are invited to know the kingdom of God, the creator of the world, the savior of humanity has come, and we can know him personally. Do you know what the perversion of this is? The perversion of this is when it's all about me. That when all that matters to me is that good things happen to me instead of good things happening around me for other people. That's when the gospel is not good news. And then he gives a challenge, certainly to me. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. And if we just take a minute, we talk about this word blameless. Blameless does not mean you don't do anything wrong. Nobody lives that way. We all stumble, we all sin, we all mess up. You know what blameless is? I make a mistake, I stumble, I goof up, I sin, and I am the first one to own it, confess it. I'm the first one to say, you know what, that's on me. I do something wrong, and before my boss can come to me and say, hey, hey, I got a problem with what you did. I'm already in his office going, you know what? That was on me. The moment I say something to my wife that's not loving or kind or I'm impatient, before, before any time passes, I go to her and say, honey, that's my fault. I confess it. I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to work hard to change. That's what blameless looks like. That's when I'm apologizing before anybody even knows I need to apologize, and I'm owning my mistakes. Look what Paul goes on to say. He says, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then the next thing Paul says, it's like he reaches back to something that Jesus said. And it so describes how we should live our lives. He says, then, then, in light of all that, you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You know what gives us the ability to shine in this world if we do it right if we follow Jesus's path if we're the good news is we are in contrast to the kingdom of this world where everything is supposed to be just about me and Jesus will say no it's supposed to be about loving other people can you imagine living in a world like that can you imagine living in a world of just the Jesus followers would live just like their savior is that good that's real good that might be the best thing there is in the world. So I want to wrap this whole message series up and lead us into Christmas with the idea of how can we be the good news and get real specific and get real simple. And I want to give you four suggestions. And here's why I want to give you four suggestions, because he's going to be there this Christmas. And you know who he is? 
yeah, you know. The guy that you really don't want to be there for Christmas. He's going to come too early and stay too long and talk too much and eat your food that you won't, don't want him to eat. And he's going to interrupt your Christmas. But he'll be there and you get the chance to be the good news to him or to her or to that person you run into on your Zoom call or work tomorrow. And we get to be the good news. The four simple suggestions I think that can make us the good news. First, apologize immediately. And men, I, I just want to pick on us because women, you, you handle this however you need to, but men, this is hard for us. I mean, let's be honest. We do something we shouldn't, and we walk around our house. We walk around work justifying in our head, talking to ourselves, having those imaginary conversations, why we were right, why they were wrong, why it's not our fault. And then when three or four days finally pass and we kind of settle down, then we walk into our wife's study or call up a friend and we go, yeah, I'm sorry. Listen, don't wait three days. You stumble, you mess up, apologize immediately. Second thing, forgive quickly. Why? Because this is what Jesus did for us. We are to forgive because we have been forgiven. No excuses, no reason why, no holding back grace. I'm telling you, Christians, Jesus followers, are people of reconciliation. And if there's something in a relationship that you have that has been broken, forgive quickly. Do not give up on it because our Heavenly Father did not give up on us. Now you got to deal with your pain and you got to deal with the emotions and how to get over the wound, but forgive quickly. I'm telling you, if you've been holding a grudge against somebody, it is the season of good news, of great joy for all mankind, including the person that you think has hurt you. Then you get to defer. Defer habitually. You know what defer means? You get to go first. In my house, I tend to be the most dominant, strongest personality. I have to work really hard to think, no, I'm putting everybody else at my table first. That's hard for me. In, in our world that I work in, I'm the lead pastor, I'm the boss. I have to work extra hard to think, all right, I need to put others ahead of me, and I don't always do it well. But when I do, I look a lot more like Jesus than when I don't. And I want to defer habitually you go first. Let me hold the door for you. Let me do the dishes. Let me serve you some way. And lastly, give sacrificially. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave. And when we don't do this, it gets a little bit ugly. When we don't do this, in fact, maybe we'll say it this way, when the news is more about a what than a who, or when the news is more about a view than a who, and, and you know, you got a view, and you've been sharing your view with everybody, and your view is about mass or not mass or vaccines or not vaccines, political party on this side, political party on that side, what's wrong with what, and everybody in your family or everybody in your work or everyone around you is so sick of your view. But what if you made it about a who? And the who is Jesus and emulating him. Because when the news is more about a view than a who, it's no longer good news. It can't be about a view anymore. And so the last time as we wrap this whole series up, I just want to ask you, are you good news for the world that you're in? Are you good news for the world that Jesus came to love? Because Jesus was good news. 
when Jesus showed up on the planet and he was announced by the angel, this is what the angel said. The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. When Jesus shows up in our life and then we follow and emulate him, we're the best news this world has ever seen. And when we don't do that well, it's not good news. And that's what Jesus brought. And then he said to you and to me, follow me. Be the good news for your family, for your community, for where you work, because that's exactly what Jesus did for you. And I just want you to know, for somehow you, you don't think you count in that, that when Jesus showed up on the planet, he would look at you and go, no, you're not worth my time or my life. That's exactly the opposite of how he feels about you. He loves you so much. He's called you into a better life of forgiveness and love and then to share it with other people. Because Jesus, that baby that was born, who grew up to be a man and gave his life on the cross and rose for you, he's Jesus, our Savior.